Hey coaches, quick announcement here before we kick off the episode. I want you to picture this, a luxurious castle nestled in the breathtaking countryside of County Wexford, Ireland. That's right. I am talking about the 2024 Inspired Grace Retreat. And let me tell you, it is going to be an experience like no other. From September 30th to October 4th, you can join me, Coach Jill, and my Director of Operations, Erica, and seven other amazing financial coaches for five days of pure magic. And the applications are now open. I want you to think about cozy accommodations fit for royalty, delicious meals prepared by our very own five-star chef, and unforgettable coaching and adventures. If you love food, I am talking about more than just meals here. I want you to imagine multiple course feasts prepared by our private chef using local ingredients and traditional recipes that are going to have your taste buds doing a happy dance. I spare no expense on food because it brings us all together every meal, something I truly cherish at every retreat. And then there's the coaching. Every day you'll be guided through exercises and concepts that will help you to fall more in love with your life and your business. The takeaways from these sessions, they're real, they're practical, and they'll impact you for years to come. Now, on to the activities. While the coaching and conversations are incredible, we also like to venture out and explore. From day trips to historical sites in Bali to private catamaran tours through Greece's turquoise waters, we are all about creating unforgettable experiences for you. As for what we'll be doing in Ireland, well, you'll just have to wait and see. Once you get yourself to Ireland, our retreat package includes everything from meals and snacks to transportation and participation in all scheduled activities. Get ready for some seriously life-changing conversations and let us take care of everything else. The investment to join us on this epic journey is $5,500. And if you need a payment plan, I've got that covered too. But here's the catch. There are only three spots left. So if you are ready to say yes to this incredible opportunity, it's time to submit your application. Head on over to financialcoachacademy.com to submit your application today. And I know you might also have some questions like whether you need to be making six figures to apply. What if I don't know anyone? What if I'm not an avid traveler? And what are the sleeping arrangements like? Trust me, I've got all of the answers for you as well. You can apply and find out more details, including those frequently asked questions at financialcoachacademy.com. And you'll find the retreat under the events in the menu bar. All right, that's it for now, Coach. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. It's going to be a good one. I'm ahead of the game. Hi, I'm Kelsa Dickey, the CEO of the Financial Coach Academy and my financial coaching business, Fiscal Fitness Phoenix. My coaching journey began more than a decade ago with me helping people for free from my dining room table. What was once a little business of mine has grown into a seven-figure company that employs a team of people. My goal is simple, to help you fall more and more in love with financial coaching. I believe financial coaching is the most rewarding way to make a living. If you are an aspiring financial coach or have been coaching for years, I'm here to help you create a business you love that gets your clients massive results. Let's get to it. Hey, financial coaches. I am super excited for today's episode. We're going to be talking about student loan forgiveness. And I don't know about you, but I have been trying to stay current and up to date on all the things that are happening with student loan forgiveness, mainly so I can be really helpful for the prospects and people that I talk to online and in social media, but also for my clients, right, who have student loans on how to best advise them. And I am feeling overwhelmed. So Today, I wanted to have an expert come talk to you guys about student loan and also educate me as well. And so I'm really excited to interview David Gorley today. Let me tell you a little bit about David. He's a former teacher 
who is now a financial planner that works with other teachers from across the country at Teach, Plan, Retire. He was a 2020 graduate of the Financial Coach Academy, which propelled him into the financial world. He earned the Certified Student Loan Professional CSLP designation in December of 2020. He has held over 450 student loan consultations while helping teachers and other public servants get over $12 million in student loan forgiveness. He's married to his wife, Kala, and has two young children as well. Thank you so much for joining me, David. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. So you are a graduate of the Financial Coach Academy back in 2020, so it's been just a few short years. Tell me how they've gone for you since. Oh, my gosh. So as I said in, the, uh, in, in my little blurb that I sent you, the Financial Coach Academy is what launched me into this whole career. And I think the biggest thing about that and, and the thing that I would tell other people is that just the confidence of going through that program, because I didn't have anything prior to that. And so, you know, you laid the foundation to give me a, the, the foundation that, that helped me set up everything from then on out. And part of that was reaching out to um, other financial professionals. And I reached out to a whole bunch of them during our time together. And, uh, and those have all, not all of them, but a lot of those conversations during that time have, got, have opened up the doors for me to get into what I'm doing now. Yeah, it's been so fun. I mean, I obviously we've been following each other on Facebook and Instagram and that kind of thing ever since you were in the academy. It's been fun watching your journey and sort of the path that's taken you. And one thing that I tell coaches all the time is like, I do think your niche has always been really solid, David. That is one thing that you've always known that sort of the teaching space and that's where you come from. But sort of how you serve your niche is likely going to change over time. You sort of will try something, learn from that. Like, what do I like about this? What's working? What's not working? And then try something new and just constantly refine it until you figure it out. And I do feel like I observed that so um accurately for you specifically, but it was fun to watch. It was fun to watch you like really lean into your niche in different ways and figure out how you can best support them. And now, uh, now I'm actually coming to you and saying you're an expert now, David, in this area, because you have really refined just how you serve your people. And it's been so awesome to sort of watch your journey. I would love to have you actually come back on for another interview where we have time to like really dive into sort of the steps you took, what you liked, what you didn't like, all that kind of stuff. But it's been really amazing to sort of watch your journey. And now you are the expert in this area and I'm coming to you and saying, okay, full circle here. I know you learned from me and now let me learn from you. Um, but we have so much to talk about today because the student loan forgiveness, there's some deadlines coming up. It's a very hot button issue right now. There's a lot involved with it. So I really want to dive back in and you actually uh, posted something on your social media that prompted this interview. This is, I reached out to you after you posted this. I had been following you for a while, learning from you. You were posting such valuable content and information about student loan forgiveness. But this was the post that I was like, can I, can I please have you on my podcast? Will you please join me and help me educate everybody on this? And here's what you posted. You said, the December 31st IDR waiver deadline for student loans just got extended until April 30th, 2024. This means you still have time to consolidate loans to get the longest repayment history, get FFEL loans consolidated into direct loans, and get months of credit to count that had not previously counted. So up until that point, I was like staying on top of things. And then it made another change yet again, which seemed like the 12th or 13th change just in a year. And I was like so overwhelmed that I was like, I'm just going to have you come on and help everybody know, like, what does this April 30th deadline mean? So we're going to start really basic. Okay. We're all going to make sure we're on the same page as ours, some general terms that we're going to be talking about in this episode, but also just in the world of student loans. So I'm going to throw some things at you and you just sort of give us a summary of what it means. Does that sound good? Yeah, that's perfect. Okay. 
The first one is FFEL loans. What the hell is that? <laughs> so those are federal family education loans. And that is just a loan type. Um, there's also direct loans. There's Perkin loans. There's, there's a lot of different loan types, but FFEL is one type of loan and they actually stopped those completely in July of 2010. And so now there's, uh, there's pretty much direct loans is, is the, the biggest one that are, that are given out now. But, and those are all federal loans. So um, there's a lot of different private loans that can be out there, but the federal loans, uh, these FFEL loans, they are privately held, but government backed loans. And so that's the important part is that if, if you want forgiveness on these loans, you have to get them into direct loans because the direct loans are government held loans. And so um, the, basically the government can't forgive something that they don't own is, the, is kind of the issue. Great. So there's FFEL and direct loans, both federal loans. One is privately backed. One is government backed or managed or administrator, uh, administered, excuse me. So the idea is uh, if you have FFEL, that probably means that you went to college before 2010, right? Or you got them exactly. before 2010. Uh, direct loans are the more current ones. So the next question was direct loans, but I think we kind of covered that. What about uh, consolidation? What does consolidation yeah, mean? So Consolidation just means that you're wrapping your loans together. So whether it's, you know, that you had old FFEL loans and now you have some direct loans or maybe you have um, loans from different time periods, um, you can do consolidation of those loans and get them to basically wrap into a single loan. There's a lot of different benefits of why you would want to do that or maybe why you wouldn't want to do that. And so it's not just a blanket. You should always consolidate. That's not that's not what I'm saying. But the but the consolidation is an important piece for people that have the FFEL loans. Okay. So if you consolidate, you have FFEL loans and you consolidate, they all become direct loans or you would still have FFEL and direct. They're just all one big one. They they move them. Basically the, the government buys your old loans, they pay them off and then they issue you the direct loans. So they're, they're basically paying off the old loans and giving you new loans. Got it. Okay, cool. And then, um, loan forgiveness. What does this mean? Oh my gosh. So that's, uh, there's a lot of different things that that means, but hopefully for a lot of people, it means that their loans no longer exist and they're gone is what I think a lot of people in the public service loan forgiveness space are working towards. Uh, loan forgiveness is so public service loan forgiveness is one entity and that's the one that I usually help people with. Um, but then there's also the long-term student loan forgiveness and that's more of a broad based, um, you know, either 20 or 25 year, uh, forgiveness that that people are working towards, um, which actually I just had a, somebody the other day that I worked with back in September, I believe, reach out that their long-term loans had actually been forgiven. So that program is working as well. Yes. Awesome. I love it. And um, you can have all of your loans forgiven. You can have partial loan forgiveness as well. So it's not like just all of your loans or zero. It can be someplace like a random amount in the middle as well. So if you're working towards public service loan forgiveness right now, um, that's probably not, that shouldn't be the case because you can do a consolidation and get the, and we'll talk about this as we get into it more, but you can do a consolidation and get the longest repayment history attached to all of your loans. So there should not be people that are getting part of their loans forgiven at this point in public service loan forgiveness. In the future, there may go, it may go back to that where it may make sense to have part of your loans forgiven. But right okay. now I would get them all forgiven. Good, good. And then what about waiver? I keep hearing the word waiver. What does this mean? 
So there's several different waivers that have been out for the last couple of years. The first one is this thing called the PSLF limited waiver. And basically the waivers are just the, um, the, the Biden administration saw that public service loan forgiveness. Um, well, let me give you actually just a little bit of, of history on this. So PSLF started, public service loan forgiveness started in October of 2007. And so uh, the, the rules were that basically you had to make 120 qualifying payments. Most people, though, didn't know what a qualifying payment meant. So then the, the first round of people that were trying to apply for this thing, you know, 10 years later, uh, so October of 2017, and there was about a 99% denial rate of mm -hmm. people that were applying for public service loan forgiveness and then getting, um, they, they were saying, you don't qualify. The reason being is that maybe they didn't have the right type of loan. So maybe they had those FFEL loans, which didn't qualify. Uh, they could have been in a, a wrong repayment plan. And I'm saying wrong, it's it's wrong mm -hmm. in, the, in the public service loan forgiveness standards, um, but you had to be on an income driven repayment plan. And then the last part of it is that you have to have, um, you have to have public service employment at the same time that you're making the qualifying payments. So 2017 rolls around and a whole bunch of people apply and most of them get denied and then you get the talking heads that get involved in this and say, oh, public service loan forgiveness doesn't work. Don't go after it. Uh, you know, you're, you're an idiot if you do this stuff. Well, that's not true. You just have to know exactly what the rules are. Now, fast forward until about 2020, and the Biden administration says, okay, public service loan forgiveness is a great program that has not been administered correctly based on what we were wanting it to do. Let's bring in these waivers and see if we can make this program uh, right again and, and kind of wrong, uh, right the wrongs that, that happened in the past. And so the first one was the PSLF limited waiver and that started in 2021 and went until October 31st of 2022. And this allowed people to go back and get any month of repayment account for credit. And that's a big one right there. Mm -hmm. October 31st, 2022 hits and it's over, done. And so, you know, there's a lot of people that were like, uh oh, I missed out on this opportunity. Um, but at the same time, in the background, there was another waiver that was actually being implemented called the uh, IDR waiver. And that's the one that has been out from, well, it, they brought it to light in April of 2022, but they didn't make any of the rules known on it until almost May of 2023, which is also insane. <laughs> um, but starting in, starting in May of 2023, when they finally made it clear that, the, that this waiver was going to be more or less an extension of the PSLF limited waiver, but with a whole bunch more uh, attached to it. And so what, what we're seeing is that people, uh, any repayment will count that was made from, you know, for, for public service loan forgiveness uh, credit, it has to be from October of 2007 on when you also were in a public service employment. The, the crazy part about this waiver though, is that it's also allowing months of forbearance to potentially count and months of deferment to potentially account. So let's talk about what those are because that's yes. another question. Like, what is this stuff? Yeah. yeah. Forbearance means that you weren't making payments on your loans at, at that particular time. Well, actually deferment means that as well. So they're kind of the same thing, but months of forbearance usually happen when you're requesting them. Um, and sometimes they, they can happen, I guess, uh, when the, like through an administrative forbearance, when the loan servicers just automatically put you into these things. Mm. They were supposed to be six months or less. Mm -hmm. And most of the time it didn't happen like that. And so there's ye sometimes years where people spend um, years and years in forbearance 
And the Biden administration said, that's not the way that this was designed. So we're going to give people credit if they had 12 months or more of forbearance in a row, consecutive forbearance, or if they had 36 months aggregate. So added up together, 36 or more months, we're going to flip a switch that changed these from forbearance to repayment status. So that's huge. That gets people mm -hmm. a lot more credit than they initially saw. Same thing with deferments. So prior to 2013, um, they'll give you credit on your deferments unless it's in school deferment. And part of the reason why is, again, the Biden administration just says the loan servicers messed up. They weren't supposed to do it like they did. And so we're going to give you credit for some of these months that didn't previously count. So really that's, quickly, that's I'll just say, yeah, really quickly, I'll just say when, to say like the loan servicers messed up in some sense for me, and I know for some of my clients is frustrating and also like a breath of fresh air because, I mean, I've been a coach for 15 years. I've been seeing these student loans become absolute nightmares for people for over a decade oh. now. And some of these things that you're talking about, I mean, I had a number of clients in qualified repayments for 10 years who took jobs in inner city schools or hospitals or those types of things with the goal of like, I'm going to do this for 10 years with this outcome in mind. They applied for the student loan forgiveness um, after 10 years. And I would say during those 10 years, you would call and you would get misinformation. Most of the people you talked to had no idea what kind of uh, payment plan would qualify or would not qualify. So you got a lot of wrong information. The idea of like the forbearance, we would have clients go on forbearance during moves across country or job changes or like those types of things, and then try to get back on a repayment plan. And they would call and like the people would literally say, no, you're in forbearance. Don't worry about it right now. We will get that started back up soon. And it, like you said, it would be years, right? Yeah. And it, sometimes, it felt like a game you were forced to play, but that you didn't know what the rules were. And really nobody knew what the rules were. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it was <laughs> a nightmare. I mean, we would have people clients feel as if they had done everything right, right? Like do all the research, ask the questions, fill out the paperwork properly, all of that, only to have, you know, their applications not even reviewed, I would say. I mean, I, I think there was also a lot of studies done as far as like re, uh, applications that were just denied without any review during 2017 when the program was first opened and like those types of things. So this has been a true, I mean, real nightmare for people. There were people who, clients we had that you know, in 2017 had done everything right that they were told right when they would make these calls and ask the uh, loan servicers and that kind of thing, and then still have to make years of payments because they couldn't get the, the people to listen that like, no, I, this should be forgiven now. And every yeah. month they keep thinking I'm making this $600 a month student loan payment that I don't even feel like I should be making. I mean, it really has been such a nightmare. So like these changes coming where it's like, you know what? We did not do our job correctly. Like these were not serviced properly. It does make sense to me because people have been sort of like living through a nightmare of trying to yeah. manage these. And I know some people have deferred them or put them on forbearance with really no intention or no strategy, but that's not everybody. There's also a lot of people who have been trying to do it right and just feel like they've been forced to play a game that nobody knows the rules to. So much so. And I always feel like if you were to call the loan servicers 10 separate times, you might get 10 separate answers on your question. It's and, and that's yeah. not the way it should be. And that's not mm -hmm. the way it should be at all. <laughs> I agree. And that's exactly what it was for so long. So I'm actually glad to hear that there's these changes, that it does seem a little bit more straightforward. And also it's still very complex and overwhelming. And there's so many different nuances to how it could go. So thank you for sort of saying, you know, talking about the difference or sort of the history of how we got here, right? And so now some of the changes 
Are there any other terms? So waiver, I think we were talking about, but you also talked about some of the other things. Is there anything else that you think that we need to just make sure we're all on an even playing field here as far as the terms and what they mean? Or is there any other words that we might be throwing around during this conversation? Uh, we'll probably find more as we move through it. Um, <laughs> because I think with anything, um, when I get into it, like I've been doing this basically nonstop for three full years. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes the terms that I'm used to hearing are, you know, it's everyday talk in my world. And so I don't know, it's, it's one of those where you have to kind of come back down to a certain level that I sometimes don't remember. Um, mm-hmm. And so if there's something that you hear that I need to stop and let, please let me know, because there's, there's so many things that people deserve to know um, that sometimes, it, you know, all of this information is accessible on studentaid.gov, but okay. they make it so hard to understand and they make it so challenging to navigate through. And that's why uh, most of my clients come to me is just they're like, please open up my student loan data file look through it with me and tell me what I need to do <laughs> because, yeah. because they make it so complex at the, at the, you know, at the top of this thing. Yeah, I totally agree. And you can find an article on studentaid.gov that's like linked someplace that's actually old. So that's the other thing too. You have to be really careful with all these changes. So what's the, what's the process? So somebody's listening to this and they're like, I'm going to look at my student loans. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to see what my options are. Where do they go first? What's the first step they take? Let's kind of start breaking down this process. And I do want to break it down as detailed as possible, because I do know that it's overwhelming. And also, we are going to give your information at the end, because I really want everybody to know that this is one of those areas where I highly, highly recommend and encourage you to seek out an expert. This is confusing for me, and I am really good at this stuff, and I find it really complex. And so I'm leaning on somebody like David. I'm going to encourage other people to do the same thing, but also let's educate people so they understand just how complex this is, so they understand sort of where they can fit in and where they might need to ask for help. Yeah, definitely. So where I start is by getting the student loan data file. Now, just like with everything in the student loan system, not only is it challenging to find the file, but once you find it, uh, it doesn't mean much of anything to most, almost everybody. So the way to get into it is at studentaid.gov. Once you get in past all the um, double authentications and through the two factors and all those things that you have to check, once you're on your actual dashboard homepage, uh, up in your name, up at the top right-hand corner, you'll see your name and then a drop-down. In the drop-down, the third one down says My Aid, and you click on My Aid. And once you're brought into the My Aid page, there's a blue box on the right-hand side that says Download My Aid File. And so once you click on that, it'll pull up this text file. Now, this is the issue. It's a, a you know, depending file. on the amount of, it's, it's a, a text, text file. <laughs> That is one of the most disgusting, uh, you know, and, and depending on the, the length of your loan history, it can be, you know, a hundred page text file. Um, and so it's impossible to read. I have a program that can read it and, and it sorts it and makes it look really nice and, and makes it so that way I can go in there and, uh, and, and navigate it and kind of figure out what you've got. But that's how does the average person do this? The answer is I actually don't 100% know because once you get to that text file, what do you do with that information? Right. If you can't actually analyze and decipher and review the information. And really quickly, David, what is the text file telling them? It's telling them their history of student loans, right? So the payments they've made, who owned the loan. One of the questions that I know 
people will ask me all the time is, my loan has been sold five times since I graduated in 2010 or whenever it was. How do I know how many payments I've made? How do I know when I was on deferment versus forbearance? Is that the kind of information that this horrific text file is going to show them or at least try to show them? Okay, so whenever I open up the file, I'm looking to see exactly the repayment history. So I go back and say, okay, this is where the loan originated on this date. Then we go into a usually a six month grace period from this date until this date. And then it says, okay, you went into repayment on this date, forbearance on this date, back into repayment, back into forbearance. If there was a consolidation, it shows me not only when it was consolidated, but then there's also a new line below that that shows the new consolidated loan and its history along the way as well. So sometimes there can be like 15 or 20 different lines mm-hmm. on your data file that show the exact history of your of your loans. Got it. Okay. And you have a proprietary software that then takes that file and puts it into a better format, makes it easy to read or easy for you to read. I would say it's still a lot of information that you have to decipher, but at least puts it in a better format overall so that you can analyze it. Exactly. Yeah. So that was uh, the software was designed and developed by the CSLP Institute. And that's where I've got my designation from the Certified Student Loan Professional designation. And it's their proprietary proprietary software that basically anybody who is uh, a CSLP also gets access to. Wonderful. Okay. So somebody goes to that file or goes to studentaid.gov, clicks on the top right, all that kind of stuff. My aid finds that amazing, super valuable, really helpful, very thoroughly done, really, really well thought out data file that we (laughs) give them. (laughs) And they could try and decipher it themselves. Um, What is the step of sort of like, let's talk through some scenarios here, David. So like, what would a person be looking for exactly? Let's start breaking down some situations. I think we had talked about some specific scenarios that they should be considering. Yeah, so one of the biggest ones right now is that under the IDR waiver, a consolidation gives you the longest repayment history. And so I'm going to use, I I work almost entirely with teachers working towards public service loan forgiveness, but a lot of them are teachers. So I'm going to give you a scenario here. Uh, Somebody graduates in 2010 from their undergrad degree, and, uh, and they are you know, going along, making payments um, for the first, let's call it eight or nine years. And then they go back to school and they get a master's degree in 2020. So their 2010 loans, let's just, I'm going to make up some numbers here. They've got 115 credits towards public service loan forgiveness on their 2010 loans. Then they have some new master's degree loans that, that they started their program in 2020. Maybe they graduated in 2022. They've got 15 credits on those loans. Right now, we can do a consolidation of those loans. And even their newest loans that only have 15 credits, when you, when you do a consolidation, it will get the 115 credits on those loans, just like mm-hmm. the old loans. That's a big deal. That's Because huge. usually the old loans are... Um, you know, much smaller in nature because you've been paying them on a lot, lot longer time frame. And then the new loans that are just taken out are usually much larger, especially because they're, they're graduate mm-hmm. degrees or specialist or doctorate or whatever that may and be. And it's 10 years later and cost of education has soared in those 10 years too. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so uh, one of the scenarios that I see a lot is where people will have these old FFEL loans that don't qualify anyways. Mm-hmm. And then they have the newer direct loans and we can wrap them all together and get them all forgiven immediately. 
And that's whenever I see that, I, I start, that's when I start salivating a little bit during a, a client <laughs> meeting where I'm like, oh, there's some work we can do here to get all of this gone for you. Yeah. Is there, how many people would you say if it's a percentage of the people you meet with, David, where there's sort of no options or it's like, or what is the worst case scenario, I guess? Could you answer that? My, I actually put a, a tweet out about this not too long ago. I think and I believe that 85 to 90% of everybody out there could benefit from a student loan consultation mm -hmm. because there's always money on the table. Whether it's figuring out the best repayment plan, whether it's figuring out how to lower your payment, because a lot of people think, oh, this is my payment. I'm stuck with it. It's what I have to do. When the reality is, is that you're so in charge of your payment, it's ridiculous based on uh, how you file your taxes, when you file your taxes, how you claim people on uh, on your taxes and just in, in life. Um, the, uh, the amount of money that you put into your retirement accounts, so on and so forth. There's so many different strategies that we look at. And um, just about, I, I'd say, like I said, 85 to 90% of people, um, especially those in public service loan forgiveness, there's, there's money on the table for sure. So let's talk about if somebody isn't getting anything forgiven necessarily, but they're signing up for a new payment plan under one of the income driven repayment options. Now there's also new options, right? So there's the safe program, that kind of thing. Do you mind touching on some of those? So let's say they're not getting anything forgiven, but they're going to move forward with a better plan for approaching their student loans. What does that possibly look like? What are those options? Yeah, so let me uh, just clarify this real quick with you. Are you still talking about somebody that's working towards public service loan forgiveness, but is not eligible for forgiveness today? Yes, let's tackle that first. Yes. Okay. So the thing about the IDR waiver is that it uh, can allow them to get credits that they may not have previously uh, been approved, mm -hmm. even if they don't uh, get forgiveness right away. So maybe they go from having 60 credits to like 80 credits, let's say or something along those lines. But then also, as you mentioned, just making sure that you're in the right repayment plan. So the save repayment plan is the new one that's out. Um, it's still pot uh, potentially not the best option for everybody because as of right now, if you didn't do any consolidations on your loan, you're using your tax data from 2019 right now. So your information uh, from 2019 until 2022, probably the last time you did your taxes, or maybe even you got them in early for this tax year and you're using 2023 information. Um, but most people, you know, may have started a family, maybe not most people, but you may have started a family. You may be, um, you may be filing your taxes jointly now, whereas before you were doing singles. Um, maybe you made a whole lot more money in the last three or four years. So there's a lot of uh, reasons why you might actually want to stay on your previous repayment plan right now. But if moving to the new payment plan makes sense, um, then, yeah, the save option is available. Um, the Biden administration is pushing that really hard. And I think part of the reason why is because um, all of the other repayment plans are actually written into your promissory notes. And so they, they have to keep those those plans because they're, they're legally binding. Mm -hmm. The save plan is not written into your promissory note. So if a new administration came in, they could technically get rid of the save plan. Now, I think what the Biden administration is doing is they're trying to push as many people into the plan as quickly as possible. So that way it makes it super hard and super inconvenient for any future administrations to make changes to this plan. But it's, but it's not necessarily in everyone's best interest to be in it right now. So uh, the plan itself is uh, 
I'm going to throw out some some words and you can tell me what needs to be clarified on this, but it's, it takes 10% of your discretionary income. And how they get to discretionary income is your adjusted gross income minus the federal poverty guideline of your family size times a 2.25 multiplier. And I know that just got super complex. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know i know whenever i start telling people like they're like how do i get to my payment i'm like okay here we go let's do this and then i throw I, that out there and it's like, i okay. like i imagine that some policymaker was like you know what we're talking about student loans all of these people have college degrees so they must be really smart let's make this as complex as possible they can handle it you know or something like it just makes no sense they could have made this so much simpler but yeah i mean i think the idea is I think the point we want to make about the SAVE program, I would say, is that the payment amount that you could get could be a lot less than what some of the other income-based repayment plans used to be based on the formula. Not always, though, like you're saying, depending on when you signed up for that, how your lifestyle has changed over the years, your tax return, your income, like those types of things. So that's why it's really good to sort of consult with somebody. But also, what happens if you're on the SAVE plan? Because I think what we see, David, is a lot of people who are just sort of not doing anything with their student loans because they just feel helpless, strapped, uh, like it's for nothing anyway. Um, why bother? I'm going to have these for the rest of my life anyway. Like there, I think the amount of despair around student loans is very real and tangible. And I think for a lot of people, they're just sort of not doing anything. And if that's the case, what is the benefit of doing something like the SAVE program or applying for something like that? What happens if you sign up for that? And then 10, 20 years later, what happens? Yeah. So the long-term implications, if you're not going for PSLF, is that you could receive forgiveness at the end of a 20 or 25 year period. The issue with that is that the, it, it would be a taxable forgiveness at that mm-hmm. point. So, um, so it's probably, you know, unless you were talking about like really big balances, it might not be in your best interest to, to go that route. Is taxability, is that a state by state thing or is that a federal thing? I thought it was state by state that it's like taxable income based, but because there's some states that are sort of waiving the student loan forgiveness, I thought. So from the federal level, it is it, any forgiveness from now until the end of 2025 is completely Mm. tax-free. After 2025, as of right now, it's 100% fully taxable at a federal level. State by state, it varies, and it kind of depends on which state you're in. Good to know. Okay. I do want to qualify a couple of things you said. When you say credits, you're referring to because a person needs 120 payments, right? So that's 10 years of 12 monthly payments is sort of the idea. I think that's where they got that from. So 120 payments, you get a credit for each payment. So when you say 60 credits, 80 credits, that's what you're referring to. I just want to make sure that that's clear for everybody. Yes? Exactly. So one month equals one credit is kind of how I, because a lot of people will say to me, well, can I just make, you know, 10 years worth of payments up front? And it's like, well, no, that's not the way it works. You have to, they want you, the, the whole reason, the whole point of the PSLF program is to basically get you to commit to 10 years of public service. And so right. if they allowed payments up front, then you may say, oh, I've, my student loans are forgiven. I'm, I'm now going to get out of public service and go into a private sector. And they don't want that. <laughs> right. Let's talk quickly again, because I just don't, I want to make sure that we're not making any assumptions on what people know. What is considered public service? Yeah, that's a really great question. So um, the, the people that I work with are anybody in school districts. Um, but then beyond that, um, we also are talking about nurses, doctors in public hospitals, 
um, firefighters, police officers, librarians, um, people that work for city governments, um, people that work for federal governments, um, military. Uh, there's pro oh, and then nonprofits actually qualify for PSLF as well. So okay. anybody who's their their employer is filing as a 501c3 is the nonprofit status. Got it. Yes. Okay. Good. Um, all right. Let me see. Let me take a look at my notes here, David, and see. Um, okay. So we talked about the tax return that that can sort of determine how much your payment amount is. Right? Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit more. So you can actually file as married filing jointly or married filing separately. If you file your taxes as married filing jointly, then they look at both you and your spouse's or significant other's um, income together. If you file separately, then they only look at your income. Now, if you're the one with the student loans, the person with the student loans, they would look at the income of the person with the student loans. Exactly. There are some states where this gets more complicated, and that involves anybody who's in a community property state. Um, and I think there's nine or 10 community property states out there. But for everybody else, if you're just looking at, you know, when you file separately, they're looking at just your income. And then, you know, basically, whatever your adjusted gross income is, and then using your family size. So you can get a much lower payment, but the other side of that is you're likely going to pay more overall on your student loans by filing or on your taxes by filing separately. So you right. kind of have to uh, look at, um, does the student loan payment um, outweigh the tax burden? <laughs> right, sure, yeah, which makes sense to me. Um, that sometimes it wouldn't, sometimes it wouldn't. Uh, what about parent plus loans? Do these qualify? Where do these fit in? Yeah, so this is actually a very, very important thing. Um, and parent plus loans are just an absolute pain. But there's also something else I want to talk to you about if we can go there real quick. And, yeah, of course. And that's the, the price of bad advice. Mm -hmm. And actually, mm -hmm. part of that is because of this parent plus loan uh, situation that you just brought up. But I was working with somebody recently and I see tons. We mentioned at the beginning, I've done 450 consultations. So I've seen a lot of a lot of scenarios, maybe not all of them, but I've seen a lot of them. Um, and somebody recently came to me and they had uh, Parent PLUS loans that, that an advisor had told them, hey, we need you to go ahead and consolidate all of these together. Because what you can do is when you consolidate all of your Parent PLUS loans, you can get into the income contingent repayment plan. And that one will qualify you for public service loan forgiveness. Well, whenever they brought me their file, I look at it and I'm like, why did you consolidate all these together? And they're like, oh, an advisor told us to do that. And I was like, well, this is going to cost you a lot of money. And so the, the issue is, is that had they seen me or somebody else who maybe knew a little bit more about student loans, what I would have suggested that they have done is this thing called the double consolidation. And the double consolidation, what they can do is they can consolidate a portion of their loans at one loan servicer and a portion of their loans at another loan servicer. And once those are each separately consolidated, they can then consolidate them a second time together. And what that does is it breaks the parent tag off of their loan and gives them access to the save repayment plan. What? This would have brought their repayment plan or their repayment amount from under ICR, they were gonna pay a little over $900. I think it was $940 a month and it would have brought them down to a $310 monthly payment. They have 70-ish more months before they're eligible for, for loan forgiveness. So when you multiply out that the difference there of $600 by 70, we're talking about real, real money right there. And this is where I do want to address something because it's sort of the, the nuance of this situation is 
depending on the strategy you choose, you may have some debt forgiven on the back end and have to pay tax on that. You may have to pay higher tax while you are finagling your tax return, while you're in repayment plan. And also, if you are using this to generate wealth for yourself, to propel propel yourself forward financially, right, to really seize this opportunity. In this example, if this person took that $600 a month and put it either towards other high interest credit card debt, let's say, or they invested it into real estate or invested in the stock market and actually earned a return on it. It is one that's also part of the equation where it can get really sticky, where like, yes, it's going to cost you these things, but it's really about managing the opportunity to generate as much wealth as possible to move you forward. And I would say for a lot of the people that I see, they are truly stuck with these student loans is how they feel. And anything, any forward movement, any progress on them is better than sort of how they're feeling today. And this is a perfect example of like, even if you have to pay something, if it removes the burden of like, I'm going to die with these student loans, right? Or I can't do, I can't buy a house because of these student loans. Or I can't, you know, if it really makes you feel so stuck, it is worth it to, you know, do the consultation or to at least make forward movement on these student loans. Yeah. One thing that I want to clarify, just uh, based on what I heard you say, just to make sure that the audience knows as well, is that public service loan forgiveness, if you're working towards that, it is 100% tax-free at both the federal and the state level. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you for clarifying that. Um, Okay, so um, if anybody is listening to this right now, this is why I wanted to have David come on the podcast, because this is so confusing. Like, If anybody's feeling overwhelmed by this, I think about the number of people we have listening, I'm going to send this to a lot of my clients so they can better understand this process as well. It is absolutely okay to feel overwhelmed right now. I feel a little overwhelmed with just the complexity of like the nuance of this and how there isn't just like, if this is the case, then you should always do this, right? Like that is definitely not how this works. I really want to encourage you guys to reach out to David. I'm going to uh, share all of his information in the show notes as well. Uh, But I cannot, I I went to a retreat this past week and David knows this because I sent him a text message. I was telling everybody about David. I was giving his consultation link to like everybody. And so I messaged him and I was like, hey, if you saw a bunch of consultations come through, that was that's because I've been talking to you like crazy. He's like, yeah, I've been seeing him come in kind of thing. And everybody's just so excited. But one thing that's been happening is people will say, but what about this? My situation is this or my situation is that. It's like everybody has a very unique situation. And that is why it's so important, I think, to meet with someone like you who can really sort through it and say, do the double consolidation because that's a very unique strategy. Now, it might only apply to, let's say, 5% of people that that would work for. But if you're in that 5%, we're talking tens of thousands of dollars that that, I mean, it's a big decision that you're trying to make. Yeah. And on that same note, uh, just to, uh, again, make sure the audience knows this, the parent plus double consolidation is technically a loophole. um, Mm -hmm. And the government is closing the door on that. July 1st of 2025, they are no longer allowing it. Mm -hmm. So people that have the, the parent plus loans right now, especially so PSLF, people that are working towards public service loan forgiveness, this is where, as you mentioned, the the complexity and the the nuance of each individual case. But right now we're pushing on that door of the April 30th um, IDR waiver is ending on April 30th. So it may not make sense to do the double consolidation because it takes so much time that we mm-hmm. want to make sure you get your loans eligible to where they're able to be forgiven at some point in the future. If you're not going for that that PSLF um, if you if you don't need the IDR waiver for some reason or another, and you have Parent Plus loans, then it probably makes sense to do the double consolidation before that July first, twenty twenty five, you know, loophole closing. 
But that's where it gets it gets so crazy because everybody's situation is unique. And, and I can't say everybody should definitely do this thing because it's not true. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't work. And it depends on on your scenario. And the reality is, like I was saying, over the past 15 years of doing this, the programs have changed so much. It seems like they've been trying to figure this out. They keep making changes. The types of loans, whether it's FFEL or direct or parent, I mean, the interest rate, subsidized versus unsubsidized, uh, federal, private, the number of changes that have happened. And so they're trying to find a program that can sort of help everybody. But there are so the inputs coming into it are just vastly different for everybody. Um, That's why I think, you know, working with somebody is really important. I really want to touch very quickly about you had said it, the cost of bad advice. But I also want to talk about a sort of avoiding scams, because anytime you see federal programs, the the scam artists come out and there's all these over promising and under delivering and that kind of thing. What should people be looking for? When it comes to trying to get help with this, what should they try to avoid? What are some things that you're like, that's probably a scam alert there. Like, pay attention. That's a red flag. Yeah, it's so funny because I, I feel like I get a call once a week from some government agency, allegedly, that says, hey, we, we saw that you're eligible to have your loans forgiven. And mind you, that I paid my student loans off um, probably back in 2016 or 2016. So the fact that they're calling me now to give me some updated information, I'm like, well, Obviously, this is a scam, and I'm not calling you back. But, but that's the, the hardest part is that there are so many um, so many people out there that try to take advantage of others, and especially when they're dealing with something like student loans, and it's just a, a heavy burden anyways, and they know that they are uh, an, it's an emotional thing one way or another. Um, so what I would suggest is reaching out to somebody that you trust and that you can find their information ahead of time. So, the CSLP, um, and it's actually the CSLA Institute, uh, I believe it's .org or .com, but, but CSLA Institute, um, there's a whole bunch of CSLPs that are listed on there, and you can go state by state, you can look up um, even, so sometimes people will, will reach out to me, or sometimes even do a consultation, which I, I try to avoid people that are not going for public service loan forgiveness to, to even book with me at all, but they'll reach out to me and say, hey, I know you don't work with people working on blank, but you know somebody, and the answer is yes. So mm-hmm. if you if you need help and need um, me to point you in that direction, I'm happy to do that. Or you could just get on that CSLA Institute and find somebody who is working on um, something that's in your wheelhouse. So for example, I, I really don't do that much with doctors. And sometimes I'll get people who ask me questions and I'm like, you guys are talking about high income earners and their scenarios. And I, most of the people I'm working with being teachers are not super high income earners. And so there's just different nuances with it. And, I, and I, I'll tell people straight up, this is not actually my, my lane or my zone of genius. So you probably need to talk to somebody who's more in, in what you're looking for. But the CSLA Institute is a, a great place. The other interesting thing that, I, and this is not how to avoid a scam, but it's just something that always makes me laugh is at the bottom of every single communication from the loan servicers, it says, you do not need to pay for student loan help or advice. Uh, you can call us for any free advice. And that's also like a, a tough thing because <laughs> as we mentioned earlier, it, they don't all, always give very good advice. <laughs> oh, so, it's been, it's been um, terrible, actually. I'll say it. You might not say it, but I'll say it. It's been terrible. It's been terrible advice. So it's I, yeah. to figure out where to turn to for good advice. And, uh, and so that's why I would recommend finding somebody and, and even inside the, CS, the CSLP group, there are, and I was in the same boat, you know, several years ago, but there's people who are brand spanking new to it and people who have had 
more experience. And, and my, the way that I learned is really just through, you know, the school of hard knocks where sometimes it's like, Hey, you know, in the very beginning of, of me doing this, it was like, Hey, I'm not going to charge you anything kind of like a beta client type thing. Yeah. And we're going to navigate this together and, and see, see what happens because I don't know the answers. Right. Right. Um, okay. So let's see. Is there anything else that you think people need to know about? Um, I'm going to link to all of your stuff in the show notes and we'll have you uh, share all your information at the end of the episode as well. But is there anything else before we wrap up that you think people should know about student loan forgiveness? I think we touched on all the questions that I had in my notes. Yeah, I think I think that most of it we've already covered. I think that uh, you know the, the big thing that I want to convey to people is that there is hope, especially... Mm-hmm. For those working, even, whether you're working towards public service loan forgiveness or you just have student loans in general, um, there are things that are in place to try to help you. Another thing on the save plan that maybe we should talk about is that if you're in save, there's no interest accrual that happens. Mm, the government mm-hmm. subsidizes it. So once you're in the save plan, you may not make a dent on your on your balance, on your principal, because if you're only paying, uh, if, if you're not even paying above the required interest payments, then it will all go to interest, but anything above that will be subsidized by the government. So your balance will not grow. Right. That's a big thing for people that are That's not huge. going for public service loan forgiveness. Yeah. So, um, so there are things out there. They're trying to make things better. Um, and I, the way I look at it is like it, there, sometimes it takes baby steps to get to the big steps. And so I think that they're still um, working towards trying to make the student loan landscape better overall. I think another thing, and this is not, anything that I can help people with. But uh, if they went after the interest rate, that would help people a whole lot more sometimes than some of the mm-hmm. other strategies that they've been going after right now. Um, but but there are lots of opportunities and there's lots of ways to get your student loan payment down. There's lots of different things that you can do as far as taking advantage of some of the waivers that are out there. But there are some deadlines coming up as well. And those are the kind of important things. The last thing I'll say about the deadline is that right now it's April 30th. I do think from the chatter that I've heard that they're going to actually kick it out to the to midsummer. Um, but that's not a guaranteed thing. So if you've got something that you're, that you're thinking you may qualify for something, uh, I would get, you know, start looking at that right away. And why wait? I mean, if you can have it forgiven or just know that it's like, I'm on a plan and here's now my timeline and have clarity on that. And so it does feel more hopeful than it's been feeling. I, I, you know, don't wait for sure. I do want to, to clarify one thing because just last week, there was another announcement made that I think was 153,000 borrowers had their loans forgiven. It was for people with $12,000 or less and that kind of thing. And I hear people, you know, posting about that and celebrating. And I think that's amazing. And some of these people did nothing. They had, they didn't, they just got a letter, right. That said that it was forgiven. And I think one thing that I want to convey David is it might paint a picture that a person doesn't have to do anything to have their loans forgiven. And I also know that that is not true. So it's really important. I just want you to clarify that, that you, for a lot of people for public uh, service loan forgiveness, for example, like you do have to do something. You can't just sit back and wait to get the letter that some people are getting because those are really rare exceptions, right? Like those are the unusual situations where they're finding grave mistakes that were made in the processing of those loans and that kind of thing. So they're able to find those loopholes, but that isn't going to be the case for everybody. So for, for other people, you do need to take some steps in order to qualify for forgiveness. If you even qualify. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, with public service loan forgiveness, the bare minimum is that you have to submit a PSLF application, which Mm -hmm. can be done through studentaid.gov. But 
you have to take, there are some proactive steps that you have to take. Yes, thank you. Okay. Um, so I would love to answer a question that you have for me, David, for being my guest. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Do you have any questions for me, uh, maybe coaching your clients or anything from the coaching space that I can do for you today? So many questions. So, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll narrow it down to one. And, you know, for anybody that's listening to this who has considered FCA, you know, I, I know that for me that was so valuable. But a lot of the information that, that we talked about during that program was kind of around coaching and skills and strategies around that. So I want to know if there's any tips or strategies that you have for bringing my coaching skills uh, to the conversations that I'm already having with clients around student loan planning and student loan forgiveness. Yeah, good question. Because I would imagine it's people coming to you uh, feeling uncertain or confused or needing clarity and also needing guidance, but they're probably having some uh, emotional reactions or some situ you know, feeling a certain way coming into those conversations, right? So I would say, first of all, just paying attention to that, not just throwing a lot of information at them without any sort of um, observance of how that might be received or how it's landing and like those types of things. Uh, I would say you could help them to identify any hesitations they're experiencing so you can address those. So is it a time crunch? Is it, do they feel overwhelmed? Do they feel shame around getting forgiveness? Do they feel guilty about asking for that? Do they feel like it's not something they should do? Um, I think that you could have a program around once the, uh, process is complete, even if it's like not forgiven yet, how are they going to seize that opportunity, right? Like, how are you going to make the most of it? I think there could be an entire sort of post program, you know, after the application process where you're really helping them to seize the opportunity, um, you know, help them plan out what they will do, what they'll think, how they'll feel when their loans are forgiven or if they get forgiven. So you can actually help them start thinking about that even before the actual date happens. Um, what impact is it going to have on their life, their relationships? What will they do? How will they feel? And really help them financially and strategically plan that out ahead of time. That way they don't all of a sudden have it forgiven. And then it's like a, a free for all, if you will, that they're really leveraging the opportunity. I would also say that I think coaching in my mind when it comes to student loan forgiveness is helping them seize the opportunity. Like I said, make a plan for it. But not allow your own judgment. I know, David, this isn't for you because obviously you support student loan forgiveness or else you wouldn't have the career right now that you have. Uh, you wouldn't have the focus that you have. But I would say for any coach listening that regardless of how you feel about student loan forgiveness as a policy or whether it should be student loans could even, should even be provided by the government or any of those types of things, in my mind, is irrelevant to how we coach our clients, right? This is a program that exists. It is something that is out there. Should they take advantage of it is entirely up to the client. It is their decision to make. It is not the coach's decision to make. And I would actually recommend that if a coach feels as if they are not going to present this opportunity to a client, one, I would let the client know that it exists, that they need to find help addressing it if you are unwilling to do that. But the client, you should at least make the client known of this opportunity. And if not, I feel like it is a, a travesty of the kind of coaching that you're providing if you're not at least letting a client know that it exists. Because it is going, it, it has the potential to completely change the trajectory of their life from a financial position and an emotional one, I would say. Their mindset, how they feel about their life, their future, and their ability to pass that on to their family and really create generational wealth. I really feel, I mean, people have been talking about credit card debt 
for you know decades. And I, I feel like for the past 10 years, I've been screaming about student loan debt sort of to like nobody. Yeah. And so to actually see some options here, and it is a very broken system. I'm not saying that this is the end all be all by any means, but this is a step in the right direction for so many people. Um, and so I'm a, you know, a proponent of at least bringing it up to the clients who have it and then putting them in touch with people like David who can support them and at least talk them through the logistics of it and really what that process would look like for them. So that's it. That's yeah. what I'd say, David. That's fantastic. Good? Great answer. Okay, good, good, good. Okay, so um, let's give everybody your information here. Let me grab my notes, get onto the next page. Okay, so uh, if you could provide, I'm gonna, I'm gonna link to all of your information, but what's the best place for people to reach out to you, to contact you? What would you recommend? Yeah, so there's a, a, the link tree that I think is gonna be in the show notes. That's probably yep. the easiest way to find everything, but I'm also on, uh, whether you call it Twitter or X these days, um, so David G underscore CSLP. Um, people can also find me on LinkedIn at, uh, actually I don't know exactly what it is on LinkedIn, I'll have to look at that. But, uh, but I post a lot of things about student loans on both of those sites and just you know more or less wins that I, that I have with clients. Um, things that are upcoming or, or kind of um, newsworthy, and then strategies about how to take advantage of some of the systems and, and the waivers that are out there right now. I love it. Thank you so much for your time, David. I really appreciate you coming on the show today and helping educate everybody about the, uh, the craziness of student loan forgiveness these days. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be back uh, involved with FCA here. All right, you guys, up next, the next episode is going to be how to price your periodic coaching program. Excited to dive into that. I believe financial coaching is the best and most rewarding way to make a living. I truly love what I do. If you're ready to learn and see how to become a profitable, successful financial coach, check us out at financialcoachacademy.com to learn more about our online programs, our free trainings, and our events. As always, if you have any questions for the podcast, you can submit them at financialcoachacademy.com forward slash podcast. And if you love this podcast, please subscribe, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and hit the thumbs up button on YouTube. I would really appreciate it. And I'll see you next week.